Welcome to the Before You Buy or Sell a Business podcast, where we help buyers and sellers learn more about the acquisition process, discuss recent transactions, and stay up to date on the latest news in the market. Here's your host, Jared Johnson. So this is a pretty special podcast today. We've got one of the former clients who bought a business about a year ago, had Tom Gonzalez with, he bought Wolfingham Palace, closed that in about the middle of 2021. Yep. So thanks for being on. Great. Thanks for having me, Jared. Yeah. Maybe you could tell me a little bit about what you bought, what, what type of business it was. So we bought a doggy daycare and boarding facility located here in Encinitas, California, The reason why we were looking at that business is my wife, Pam, is a well-renowned dog trainer in the area, was super busy, and it was really challenging figuring out ways to scale her time more. You can only charge so much, even at the high end, for going and visiting people and helping train their dogs. And so we had considered buying a property and building out our own doggy daycare. But when we looked at the permitting costs and timeline, it was two to three years, six figures in sound abatement studies, meeting with the county to maybe get a permit. Hmm. And as you may know, Jared, doing business here in California, (laughs) there's a few more regulations than other places. So the the amount of permitting and stuff required was just crazy. And it was interesting. There was a local business that had a really good reputation that we had our eye on and we were going to model our business off of if we purchased this property. But we realized it's probably wasn't the right time to do it. We put things on hold. We're waiting for kids to get out of college. And six months went by and my wife Pam was like, Tom, she goes, I really want to do this. I'm like, I know, honey, but just the timing doesn't feel right. And she started Googling around dog businesses for sale and a listing came up and it was kind of ambiguous in terms of not saying what the business was, but we immediately knew it was this business, Wolfingham Palace. So Pam reached out to the broker we got an NDA in place and confirmed what business it was and kind of started to go from there. Cool. Okay. Well, so obviously I had a little bit of a background in it with your wife. So, you know, that's exciting. That's always kind of what, you know, a lender is really going to look for. You, you know enough of what you're doing to, you know, get the business off the ground. So um, before that, so maybe take me back a little bit. What was your background in, you know, what did you do, uh, you know, and your personal job before right. acquiring it. So as I mentioned, Pam's been involved in the dog rescue world for 20 some odd years, dog trainer. I have been in the tech space. I've run my own consulting company for 25 years. I've done a couple startups as founder, and I primarily help companies, big and small, design and build software. Anything cool. from one-person shops to VC-funded startups to Fortune 15. So over the course of my career, I've been involved with hundreds of different businesses, sometimes very deeply involved. So I have a relatively good understanding of kind of business, finance, those pieces of it, and a lot of work with like C-level executives and entrepreneurs. Yeah, interesting. So I kind of took some of your experience and then went all the way down to what, you know, people probably consider, you know, more of a a smaller business, obviously, with being a mm-hmm. you know, dog boarding facility. So I'm sure some of it translates, but then also having your wife there is, you know, is a great idea to keep around. So, so out of this one, when you, you, you found the business, mm-hmm. you kind of figured out what it was, signed yep. an NDA with the brokerage. You kind of walked me through what were the, sure. the next, you know, week or two that you kind yeah. of came from there. So like right off the gate, 
I wanted to see financials. Like we knew the business by reputation, but when we started looking at, we had an idea of what it would cost to buy the business. When we looked at what that investment would be, it would require converting 401ks. It was a, it's a, it was a pretty big investment on our part. So right out of the gate, I just wanted to see where their P&Ls were, what their balance sheet looked like, and how they grew the business. And the previous owners had started it about eight years prior, and their financials were great. Not quite at the revenue where like we knew we could go all in. I was still planning on continuing consulting and helping other companies, but it seemed pretty solid. And what I really liked about the financials is they carried no debt outside of the mortgage on the real estate. And they had a pretty consistent 20 to 25% year-over-year growth. At the time, so this is 2021, we were coming out of COVID. Mm-hmm. So obviously that kind of threw things off for 2020, but not badly. The other thing that I was looking at in this particular business was customers would come in for primarily, majority of the revenues through doggy daycare. So through coming to specialized sessions throughout the day, smaller portion was boarding, but all of these sessions were prepaid where people will come in, buy a pack, 10, 20, 30 dog sessions, and then call off that pack. So there was already like guaranteed receivables, a solid amount like of continued business. Mm-hmm. So unlike maybe a retail space or something where you don't have that loyal customer base that you can count on the recurring revenue, what I really liked about this is guarantee customer base, unless we really screwed things up, right? <laughs> yeah, which is obviously always a fear. Yeah. So, okay, so you, you liked it enough to you know, feel like this was the right opportunity for you. Did you agree with the, the price that it was advertised for? How did you yeah. come to a, an agreement on the purchase price? So, and it included the real estate, right? It did. So, so sure in, inclu- in fact, the real estate was probably was probably seventy percent of the cost of the business. So, this okay. is coastal Southern California. <laughs> right. We had about an acre of land with a prop, you know, with a house on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we looked at the financials. They looked solid. Started a conversation with the broker, and that's where things really started to get interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so, the sellers had pretty unique. Person, set of personalities. And at the time we started the started talking to the broker, the business had been set on, for sale for over a year. And let's just say that the relationship between the seller and the broker was quite strained at that point. There okay. wasn't a lot of good communication going on, but we really wanted the business. <laughs> yeah. So the price at their price point seemed doable. Like negotiating over 100000 200000 wasn't that meaningful to me. I think it was more important that we actually figure out a way to close the deal. Mm-hmm. So we had arranged, it took a while to arrange for a, a walkthrough of the business. And we, we got that set up. We met with the owners who were very nice, got a lay of the land. And when we left, you know, kind of probed a little bit with the owners about the broker, the broker with the owners. And once again, there was just a lot of friction there. And so after we had done our initial walkthrough, Pam and I talked and I said, I think the way to go here, honey, is let's try to negotiate. Let's go directly to the sellers. Let's give them an offer directly. Because if we start going through the broker and other third parties, it's I could see things going south very quickly and we're not going to make any forward progress. Mm-hmm. 
So um, did that cause any issues with the broker? No, directly to him. Okay. And I asked the broker first. <clears throat> okay, cool. So I just said, Hey Todd, this is what I'm thinking of doing. I don't want to ruffle any feathers or work outside of, you know, your relationship with process. He goes, no, that's great. Okay. Go do that. So, Good. yeah, I mean, I, I didn't, I'm not trying to short circuit anything. <laughs> I just wanted to be like, if this is going to get us to the finish line sooner, let's try this. Yeah. So, you know, that was pretty good on your part, you know, kind of understanding the dynamics and, and really understanding what would work for you. There's a lot of stories out there of a buyer figuring out, you know, maybe who the business is and just going straight to them, you know, or, you know, kind of having conversations behind the, the broker's back. And it, it really puts the broker in an awkward spot because their whole job is to protect the seller. Right. So, you know, it was great. You got <laughs> permission for that. Yeah. You did it the right way. So, yeah. so, okay. So you, you presented your offer. How did they take it? Yeah. So we went, we asked to meet again with them. We sat down, I put together a term sheet The the owners had they'd really done a good job in some ways. Like their business model was really sharp. They were good with customers, but they were not business people. They don't, did not understand finances, P&L, balance sheet. They really relied heavily on their CPA for this information. Which is fairly common. Yeah, um, which, which is fun. So it, but it just, knowing that, we approached it a little different. Like, I didn't put together a term sheet that you'd put right. in front of an M&A group. Right. You put right. together a term sheet in the terms that, like, the sellers could recognize. Correct, yeah. So I think the big one was we were going to give them their asking price. We weren't going to try to negotiate. The things I wanted to, to negotiate on was more whether it was an asset sale or equity sale. Okay. There were a couple other points, n nothing major. And so we, I put together like half a dozen bullets. Mm -hmm. um, we went and met with them, slid the paper across the table. <laughs> they both looked at it. They both got smiles on their face. And we had a handshake deal. Okay. And, and it, you know, it was... That started the 90 days like to us closing. And there were some very challenging points along the way. But I think the way we handled it initially set at least enough trust for us to work from, even as it might have eroded during the, the transaction. Yeah. We had enough there and they were getting what they wanted. Right. Um, yeah. And we were at getting the end of the what day, we you wanted. gave them what. Yeah. what they were asking. So exactly. I'm sure there's, there's a lot of sellers that kind of go, okay, this is what we'd really want. You know, hopefully we come in somewhere close to it. So when you walk in, slide it across the, the table and it's what you actually, you know, what they were looking for. I'm sure that that helped ease some of the, some of the pain with the transition. So. That and knowing like they had built this up from scratch there, mm -hmm. th this was a doggy daycare where there was a residence on the property. They were living on site. They were very embedded in the business. Pam and I did not intend to live on, uh, on property. And so I knew another part of it was having them feel valued for what they built. Mm -hmm. And part of what we said is we're going to give you your full asking because we feel like it's worth it. You guys have. And so, I mean, I wasn't being insincere, but like feeding their ego a little and validating right. the work they did. They had other people come in and say, no, you're doing it all wrong or mm. it's not worth this. So, you know, I think that was another important piece. Um, at least I like to believe that was an important piece. There, there are these softer aspects to negotiating or putting together a deal where people want to feel valued and trusted for what they've done. Yeah, and I think that's it kind of comes from your background as well as kind of understanding how to to play that and of course not being you know you're being sincere at the of end course. of the day so yeah. that makes sense. Okay, so he had a handshake deal. Did they 
immediately move to writing up a purchase agreement? Did you try to find financing right away? Kind of what right. was the next oh, step? Yeah. So I guess backing up a little bit before we put the term sheet in front of them, I had talked to our broker who introduced me to you and I think two other bankers. We had started a conversation. We had done like the kind of 5,000 foot pass, like, okay, you guys could qualify. I feel reasonably confident. You guys could close on this. We hadn't started doing heavy due diligence yet, but I felt like the financing was going to be in place or that we could put it in place. So we did the handshake deal. We, our transaction was more complicated financially than others in that we were doing what's called a rollover business startup, mm -hmm. which I know you're familiar with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, maybe we can talk about that real quick. You know, so obviously, you know, typically people just call it a Rob's, you know, they essentially are taking your retirement plan, forming a, a reti another retirement plan, a 401k, and then buying shares in a C corp using those funds to buy the business. So how did the process go with that? Did you use a company to, to yep. process that? Yeah, so that's exactly what we did. And so we used a company out of Washington called Guidant Financial. They're kind of like the 800-pound gorilla in that space. Yeah. Like this is what they specialize in. So while the SBA loan has a ton of paperwork and regulatory stuff, the ROBS is equally as complex mm -hmm. um, in that... The IRS wants to make sure that if you're using your retirement funds, you're using them for legitimate business purchase, you're not enriching yourself or circumventing early withdrawal penalties. So there is a lot of regulatory paperwork that goes with setting up the ROBS and a lot of mechanisms in that you have to actually form your own 401k, mm -hmm. get your own bank accounts associated with it. You have to spin up a C corp, not an S corp which has its own challenges when you're right. buying real estate. It's not the most tax advantageous to do that. And then the way money moves across these accounts and the paperwork to make sure that you're meeting all your fiduciary responsibilities is a little challenging. And here's kind of a funny aside with the 401k. So our, we pulled 401k funds. You use those funds to capitalize your new C-Corp. And then a majority of those funds are what were used for the down payment for your SBA loan. Mm -hmm. So this is all your money, but it's not cash out of pocket. It's retirement funds. But at the end of the day, your 401k has like a 98% equity stake in your new company. And you as an individual own like 1%. Right. But you have as the director of the C-Corp and the director of your 401k, you have a fiduciary responsibility to the retired version of you <laughs> to protect those assets. So there's things called prohibited transactions. Mm -hmm. It requires you to run your corp super stringently. You can't use it as a slush fund. <laughs> you can't, like you have to be, Pam and I are both on payroll as W-2. Mm -hmm. You have to be very careful with how you make your purchases. There can't be any perception of double dealing or enriching. I, I have other corporations that it's much easier. I can go pay for travel and this right. and that. And it's, it's totally legit. With the Robs, like you, it's everything is by the book. Right. So then, of course, it's important to work with a company that knows how to set them up, monitor it, all exactly. that stuff. Exactly. So. Good thing um, you, you worked with the, the right people right. on that as well. So. so going back to the purchase, you asked, so what happened? So we have a handshake deal. We've got a term sheet. So then three primary, 
things we had to focus on. One was getting the ROBs set up and their timelines with us, because now you're forming corporations, you're getting attorneys involved, there's getting that financing put together. Then there's beginning the SBA approval process, which has a fair share of paperwork and due yeah. diligence and lots of questions. I have other businesses that needed to be audited and just you're having to really provide a lot of paperwork. And then there was getting a purchase agreement put together. Mm-hmm with a broker and a seller who barely are talking to each other. Mm. So what, and I worked closely with the broker. I wanted to always be respectful of their relationship with the seller and just figure out what makes the most sense here. But I ended up playing, doing a lot of what the broker would normally do because I had a better relationship with the seller. Mm -hmm. So Putting together the purchase offer, which was you know like a 20-page document with lots of terms, attorneys were reviewing them. I'm finding stuff that the sellers aren't thinking about. A big one, which was the sellers were not really aware financially that they had collected all this revenue from customers for services yet rendered. Mm-hmm. You have three, four hundred customers who've purchased ahead these packs, and so we put a clause in and said, "Hey." There's value that you've been, you know, you've received funds for, for mm-hmm. services that haven't been delivered. So when we close, we're going to need to figure out what's that outstanding value, right? right? And make sure that we have a credit for that. Yeah. And um, that, it's also setting you up, obviously. You don't want to take over the business and essentially providing free services um, that you're paying for with employment costs, the loan costs, all these costs. Absolutely. And then waiting for several months to actually start collecting on funds. Right. So, you know, that's definitely something you'd want to take a look at. And luckily you caught that. Yeah, we did. I mean, in, in a, you know, 11th hour. Literally, the night before we were supposed to close on all the financing, this, we kept uh, leading up to this, we were talking about well, what's that outstanding balance. And the sellers didn't know. But at that point, you know, we're looking at closing. They gave me access to their software system. So I started pulling reports and running some numbers. And three or four days before close, I sent, I said, according to your software and your accounting, You've got about a hundred to one hundred fifteen thousand in outstanding in receivables that have already been paid for that need to transfer over, and no reply from the sellers. No reply. I'm like, okay, I guess they must have been aware of it. <laughs> the night before the deal is supposed to close, they come back to us and say our accountants recommended that we just reimburse all of those customers. <laughs> I said, so you want to re like offer these three hundred plus customers? credit on their credit card for accounting that you can't keep track of. And then our first interaction with these customers is, Hey, you need to pay us. <laughs> I said, so that will be like per our contract. This is a huge disruption to continuity of the business. I said, right. that won't go. Yeah. So then the sellers came back and said, well, what if we give you 50 cents on the dollar? I said, this makes no sense. Right. Like we agreed to this. We have terms in a contract. So it was really like a nail biter. Like, are mm-hmm. they going to step up and do what they agreed to do? And in the end they did, but <laughs> yeah. So I guess why I bring that up is really, really diving in and trying to look ahead as to what problems might occur. Mm-hmm. So I, thankfully I put clauses in our contract that money would remain in escrow until this was settled out. So we weren't 
you know, hoping that after the deal closed that they're going to pay us money back. Right. And, and I'll see sometimes people will lower the purchase price. And I always kind of argue with them that, hey, that still doesn't fix the problem that for the next 45 to 60 days, you're not collecting as much revenue as you should, but you're still providing the service. Right. So it's right. money going out without money coming in. Right. That's a tough spot to be in unless you've got a bunch of working capital. Right. So putting it in escrow was was a better option for you yep. and ensuring that the business will be healthy from day one, from when you take over. Right. Some of the things that ne- got negotiated through us putting together the, per- the purchase agreement was... One, and this wasn't something I was aware of, and gosh, and I can't even remember the terms, an asset sale versus a... A stock sale. Stock sale. Yeah. So the owners had this set up as an LLC. Mm-hmm. So then if it was an LLC, it would technically be a member redemption. Right. Yeah, so it's a little so different. I didn't know, I had no idea about this going into it, but the paperwork we looked at in doing the due diligence always referred to this as an asset sale. The difference, so... in for people who aren't familiar with it, what I was educated on is an asset sale, you're buying all the assets of the business, the land, the inventory, any, any tangible asset that you could put a value to. You're not buying the business. So we're not buying the LLC. So legally, we don't inherit any of the, we don't inherit any financial risk or legal risk with the business. We're just taking their assets. The challenge is the seller is, you have, there's a higher tax burden with an asset sale. Right. Because that's going to look, it's a liquidation event. It looks like it's profit that you then pay taxes on versus just say, oh, here, take the business and you inherit our tax basis. Right. Well, the sellers didn't really understand this and they didn't understand what they had agreed to till we started getting into the purchase agreement and it was going to kill the deal. So what we ended up doing was juggling where money was going to. So we reduced the price of the business, added to the value of the real estate. Real estate was still appreciating, so we can get an appraisal at that. So there was some soft stuff there that it wasn't as advantageous to us to put money on the real estate because of property taxes here. Right. But um, but overall, it allowed the deal to go through. We mm-hmm. didn't lose the deal. So it's interesting what comes up, even when you think you have a deal, like as the lawyers get in and you start going through the details, the stuff that surfaces. Yeah, definitely. There's, there's always something that, you know, kind of pops up at the last second. You and I were talking a little bit earlier and I said, I feel like there's one or two deals a year where I'm like, wow, that was easy. It went through, it closed, you know, great. And then the other 50 something deals are usually a little tougher. Right. (laughs) So, which is great. You, at the end of the day, you do want to do your due diligence. You want to make sure that you're buying a business that is exactly what you thought it was going to be. And the only way to really understand what you're buying is to dive deep into it. Some some people will hire someone to do due diligence for them. Others feel confident enough to do it themselves. What what did you do as far as, you know, looking through the financials and doing a lot of the due diligence? Right. So, I mean, just as a layperson, um, once we, once we established the financials, I did ask to see bank statements, which was a little harder to get my hands on. Just, you're looking at a clean P&L and a clean balance sheet. Well, this has been curated by a CPA. I wanted to see bank statements just, I mean, not to tie it down to the penny, but just to validate this isn't made up. Right. Um, 
did some just Google searching on any pending lawsuits against the owners. I mean, like real quick and dirty background check. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that's really important for this business is the permitting. Mm -hmm. So this business is in a mixed use neighborhood. So some agricultural commercial mixed with residential. And we know in the San Diego County, they're very, it's very clear what you can and what you are, are not allowed to do with how many dogs you have on a property. Okay. So one of the huge values of this business was that the previous, the sellers had gone through a three-year process with the city of Encinitas to obtain a major use permit mm. that allowed a specific number of dogs on property. Without that, this would never have been a deal. Like we couldn't go in with the expectation of that we might be able to get this. And this required multiple city council meetings. They had 200 plus customers coming and soliciting the city saying, we need this, we need this, we need this. It was a really big deal. So not only did I read the 120 page major use permit, <laughs> I called the city, I talked to officials, like that was a big area of making sure that that was all in place. So was there any, any, you know, restrictions on you taking over that permit or did nope. they, they allow it to transfer? Great. Yeah. So in that case, it's deeded to the property, not an individual. Okay. So, so it's, it's actually a major property. use permit associated with the parcel number. That's great. Yeah. So, and then obviously, you know, so being a dog boarding, we have your dogs here with us. Yes. So you guys might be able to hear them yeah. here and here and there, but of course we love dogs. So. Not afraid to have them with us. So you didn't use a you know outside third party, but you you know kind of did the whole trust but verify by yep. looking through the the bank statements yourself. So yep. you know that's obviously great. So kind of you know figured out enough through the process from putting the purchase agreement together to getting it closed. Obviously, there was a couple little hiccups there with figuring out mm -hmm. how much is owed to you, you know, being stock versus asset sale, all that good stuff. And then it came time to close. If I remember right, and correct me if I'm wrong, they were moving, the seller was moving. And so we were in a little bit of a time crunch yep. where they wanted to to kind of move on yep. and and leave the property and everything, which was which was also their home. So if I remember correctly, there was a little bit of a, of a hiccup there. It, maybe we could talk about that for a second, if, if I remember correctly. Well, the hiccup was what I was referring to in terms of coming to an agreement okay. on the, that could have delayed things. They actually wanted to stay longer. Mm, okay. The maybe hiccup, that's what it was. We, yeah. yeah, well, no, the hiccup. We had a family vacation mm. planned, which I know sounds like trivial in relationship to this, but... But it's not because it's funny, like, I feel like more than half the deals that I ever see or work on, either the buyer or the seller has a vacation either planned or is they're going and it's either the, it always seems like the day after they're supposed to close or yeah. the week before. So, and if you have an extension, then <laughs> we run into Yeah. Problems. So this was Pam and I, four teenage kids going up to Lake Tahoe. We couldn't change that. And I wanted to make sure that we had at least five weeks operating the business before we left. I, anything That's less than was, that. Yeah. And so it was either we're going to do it now or we're going to have to wait till we get back from Tahoe. Yeah. And once again, I realized we could have canceled the trip and maybe that's what would have happened. But that was driving. And then there was another piece driving the closed date is that at the time, the SBA had some special COVID programs in yes. place, one of which 
allowed us to avoid paying the guarantee fee, which mm-hmm. was like a six-figure fee, to guarantee the loan. Correct. And that the clock was ticking on that. Yes. And okay. so if we missed that date and had to do the vacation, we're going to be right up against the wire. And I'm like, that was a significant swing. So yeah. So, so a, those were the things. It was a busy that time for yeah. everybody too. Yeah. So yeah. But either way, you got it done. Yep. Got it closed. So, you know, take me through kind of the first couple of days of taking over and then maybe we can talk about like the first six months. What did sure. that look like? Well, so we closed the week before the July 4th weekend. Okay. And the owners were telling us, you guys are kind of crazy for doing this right now. This is the busiest weekend of the year with boarding. Hmm. So it's not a, we don't have a huge boarding facility. I think at the time there were maybe 18 dogs boarding and the owners had lived there and they handled the boarding dogs at night. So there's, you know, meals, potty break, get them up in the morning. Well, we were taking over the business and we were not going to live there. And we did not have a, an overnight solution yet. We had just met the staff the week before who incidentally, half of which were getting ready to quit, (laughs) (laughs) but stayed when we bought the business. Um, And we've got some really good employees. So, okay, let's just dissect that real quick. So, and I remember you telling me this is you and I talked, you know, a little bit afterwards and, and I really enjoyed, you know, working with you. you. You, we would talk about personal things. I think if I remember right, I had hernia surgery you did. in the middle of all this yeah. as well. Yeah, and you yeah. kind of explained to me how you're, what happened with your wife. Yeah. Mine ended up either I'm a wimp or mine ended up being a lot worse <laughs> than, <laughs> than kind of what, what she went through. So yeah. there was, there was definitely some up and down points yeah, yeah. during this deal, but, um, so the staff was banding together to quit and you saved that. So how did that happen? Yeah. So, I mean, this is, you know, when you talk about doing due diligence, especially in the service industry, you know, we, there, we have 15 employees. Pam and I could not physically do it all ourselves. Right. And you were keeping your, your full time right. gig. And, and yes, and I'm running another business and we have four teenage kids. Yeah. yeah. So you're really dependent on staff. Mm-hmm. Um, but the challenge is you're not going to meet staff till you know you're going to close. Like uh, chances are a seller's not, oh, by the way, we're selling the business and parade a bunch of prospective buyers through. They're going to wait till the deal is going to close. So we met staff a week before. And before the deal had closed, we had staff members calling us in tears about how they were being treated by the owners. Oh, wow. So things had devolved. I mean, and I understand like living on site as an owner, it's just... It'd be a lot. Like it's just, it's a lot to ask. But things had devolved between the owners and staff. We had several people, like they were actively seeking other employment. We're like, hey, I think Pam and I are, Pam is super sweet. I'm very level headed. We mm-hmm. kind of reassured them. So I think, I don't think they, they loved the work. They loved being with dogs. Mm. So they were optimistic. Yeah, and I think it's it's always important for, and it's something I talk about a lot, is during the process, the buyer and seller go through a lot of emotions. And then you take and throw in that they lived there. Then you take in and throw in that they were going to move. Right. You know, there's several different things that came up during you know oh. the process. So part of it is, you know, handling the emotions and then also at the same time trying to run the business. Right. So, you know, maybe some of that kind of played into what happened with the employees. Absolutely. But. Well, and, and they were, they were like half in, they've been trying to sell the mm. business for a year. Right. So just, to, I, I put myself in their shoes in the emotional place. They might, you know, yeah. just, and, and you're getting down to the wire. Like yeah. we're negotiating this deal. Like things got a little heated. Yeah. 
Yeah, their you know, mind's I, already moved I, on. Yeah, I think and, I had yeah. a conversation with the seller at one point where I said something to the fact of like, you cannot speak to me the way you're talking to me. Mm. Like, we can't continue this conversation. Yeah. Like, so, like, there were definitely some heated moments. And so I could only imagine how that translated to what was going on with employees. Yeah, and some of that is is the risk and reward of going directly to the seller. Oftentimes you have a broker who is, is that punching bag. Exactly. Or, exactly. Know, so, in yeah. the middle of it. But going directly to him probably got the deal done. But then obviously you took the brunt of some of that. So, Absolutely. you know, the, the broker oftentimes I say is, is a psychologist as well. Yes. So you had to kind of do both. And fortunately you have a, a very level head and you're able to do that. Right. So, so you walked in there, half the staff wanted to leave. What, what kind of, did you have to go through with that? Yeah. Day? So we, I think we closed on a Friday and it was like going into the holiday weekend. And, you know, I've, I've run several other businesses and I have a philosophy that I won't ask somebody who works for me to do something I'm not willing to do myself at least once. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's great. So Pam and I like buckle up. We're going to hang, we're going to be here this weekend. We're going to run the whole facility ourselves first weekend. So the 18 dogs sleeping over jumped right in and we did. (laughs) I mean, it was, it was hard. It wasn't the end of the world. Like we were both so excited and we did. So we handled it. And I also, I, I think it set a good message for the employees. Mm-hmm. These are owners are going to be hands-on. They know what they're doing. They're going to be here. Well, they're, they're willing doing. to work on a holiday weekend. Yeah. Yeah. They're willing. To, and then I think I showed you the facility today. Mm-hmm. The employee lounge and office was in this dark and dirty, dingy garage. And literally after that weekend, I ripped out half of a retail space that it just didn't make a lot of business sense, painted it, started throwing up cabinets, buying furniture and stuff. So the employees had a nice place to hang out cool. and work out of. Yeah. So you, you made them feel a little more comfortable in their space Absolutely. and then, you know, probably gained a lot of their trust by showing them that you're, you're not going to be hands off. You're going to, you know, mm-hmm. walk in their shoes and, yep. and make them feel more comfortable. That's great. So Great news. Got everyone to stay. Yep. Did you have any other challenges after that with the employees? Did you have we did. Uh, anybody that you kind of maybe needed to work out or you brought in some more people? Yeah. So, I mean, and I'm just going back to the first six months. So the first six months, Pam and I were both working 90, 100 hour weeks. Wow. But having a blast. Okay. That helps. We, Makes it a little easier. We were there 12 <laughs> hours a day and loving every minute of it. Like we were both having a great time. Pam and I had worked enough together on her business. Always, you know, when you're, when you're buying or running a business with your spouse, mm-hmm. that might not always be the greatest thing. Right. right. Yeah. Very grateful that our strengths really complement each other. There's very little overlap in what we want control over mm. or want to have influence on. So I was very squarely on the business side of things, finance, legal, and then process. I'm big on process and I mean, a consistent way of doing things, identifying inefficiencies and what's happening and working on that. Pam is super hands-on with the dogs, employees, and incredibly intuitive. So we, we both really complemented each other well and actually grew even closer working on it. Wow, so, that's great. Yeah, which, you know, we were both a little nervous about that, right? Yeah, of course. Like, you just put your life savings into something. You're both working super hard. You know, like, it was do or die. Like, we had 
taken out this big loan, mm-hmm. like our house had to lean on it. My other business had like, we had to make it work. Right. So it was a lot of work over the first six months. I'm happy to say it's been about 18 months and I spend maybe an hour or two on site a week. Wow. I could spend more if I wanted to, but Pam's there more often, but we're not needed to be there. We've got like so far ahead of where we were. Yeah. The empl- the staffing in the first 12 months was difficult. We did have to get, we did have to call a few people out and it was post COVID, but COVID supplemental income funds were coming in mm-hmm. and finding labor at, you know, you know, in the 16 to $20 an hour range was super hard. And we, in the beginning, when we would interview, we just felt so grateful that somebody wanted to work for us, we would hire them. Mm. But, but what I started to see and over time was how much it was costing us to not be more diligent in our hiring process. So as recently as like three months ago, we had just churned through a few more people. It's just in, in our business, not having somebody on site, it's like they're all critical. Like we're running, right. we're moving 150 dogs a day in and out of the facility. We're running them to and from cars. You're down a person. Everyone's working really hard. It's a very physically demanding job. So about three months ago, I sat down and said, you know what? We suck at this. We suck at hiring. <laughs> we, and we suck because we, I've not given it any attention. Like if this is my only problem to focus on, what would I do? Right. So I'm like, I'm going to put together a hiring process. And we did. I took out, put a job board out on the deed. We walked through what is, what are the stages of screening? What are the qualities we're looking for? We used to bring people on and try them out for a couple of days, like on a contract position, but there was no formal evaluation. So we got rigorous on, we're going to bring people in for three, after they go through screening and interviews. If we feel like it's potentially a good fit, they're going to come work in the yard with us for three and a half hours and be evaluated against specific criteria. And Jared, this is so funny because we started doing this and we had somebody who we thought might be a good prospect come through this process. And typically what I would ask our senior staff, like how was, you know, Betty out in the yard? Oh, she was great. So I put this process in place. We had somebody go through an evaluation and I asked our senior manager, said, how was, I was Becky. And she said, oh, Becky was great. But we had already like filled the position. But a week or two had gone by and we might need another position. I said, hey, can you send me Becky's eval sheets that you guys filled out, like the senior staff evaluated? You said she was great, right? She goes, yeah. And so I look at the sheets, Jared, and it's like these grading scales from zero to 10. And she didn't score above a three on anything. <laughs> and I said, so when you said Becky was great, she goes, oh, no, I meant I really liked her. <laughs> I <laughs> liked her personality, like yes. as a person, but not her work ethic. I'm like, and... oh my gosh, thank God we put this in place, right? <laughs> like I have an objective criteria to evaluate. Yeah. So I think we've gotten better at that. And I said, I'd rather interview 20 people to find one, yeah. even if it's going to interview, at least for me, it's not the funnest job in the world. Right. It's hard. It's, it's it, anytime you're dealing with people, yeah. it takes a while to get used to them. It takes a while to see who they really are, you, you, you know, and then dealing with dogs. I mean, that's someone's kid, right? We, you know, we all think of our dogs as our children. Some of us, you know, maybe treat the dog better than yes, the children. Right, right. So you want somebody that's not only going to show up and work hard, but right. treat a dog as if it's their own. So, and I think yeah. to that point, one of the first things I did, like in the first month of the business, when we went to that trip to Tahoe, we had mm-hmm. the business for a month. We went and I said, 
started looking through, all right, what are our core values? Mm-hmm. But Pam and I align on really being clear, what are our core values that when we've got a tough decision to make, you can go back to that and say, looking at these values, how would we make this decision? And so we got very clear on what like the seven core values are for our business. I posted it all up around and I realized lots of companies do this and it's yeah. kind of cliche and, oh yeah, those are our core values. <laughs> but we really take it to heart and our whole interview process centers around validating mm. a match to these core values. Some of which, like one of which an obvious one is I'm passionate about dogs. Right. If you're not passionate about dogs, you are not going to enjoy this job. Absolutely. Another one is being a team player and having a strong work ethic. So we figured out, I figured out ways in this evaluation to kind of tease that out, being proactive. So we give a candidate, prospective candidate, here are the things we're evaluating on. Here are the things we'd like you to do during the shift. And we just write it down and have them read it. We don't remind them. And to see who's actually going to do that. Yeah, it's hard to fake it that long, right? <laughs> well, for three and a half hours, yeah. Like, I yeah. mean, yeah, you could still be on your best behavior, and it doesn't right. catch everything. But it caught a lot. Yeah. The people who were on their cell phones, the people who needed five mm. bathroom breaks. Like, this is only th- like okay, clearly. Yeah. So stuff that we would find out about previous hires a month or two in. Right. Okay. Makes sense. So it sounds like you're really good at process you just hadn't got to that yet <laughs> yes. So, yeah yes. Yes. now you got to it now it's in place so yeah. all right so first six months you and a little further you know kind of working on getting the right staff yeah. you made some improvements to the property yep you know you you showed me today you added a grooming area which yep. is fantastic yep. so it sounds like you kind of just chipped away at the things that needed needed to be done yeah um, and we still are there's still more to do for yeah sure. so you know, obvious question here. Are you happy you bought this business? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you could and, go back and do it again. Would you do yeah, it? Yeah. And, and one thing that I didn't mention that I think is really important. When I look at our financials today, we're up about 150% top line revenue. Wow. That's huge. Our margins have grown to over 50% EBITDA. Like we've got a real, like a really strong business. Yeah. It's fantastic. If and because sales are so strong, and I give all the credit to Pam, Pam and the staff, they just, the customers love us. Pam is very charismatic and it's just great. Like we've got people always say, I want to send you business. I'm like, please don't. Like, <laughs> we we're like, all of our sessions are filled. I can't tell you like this, the previous owners, the amount of deal flow coming in that wasn't even being addressed. Mm. So having strong sales that are profitable certainly makes it a lot more enjoyable. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. A thousand percent happy that we're able to do this. And like, and one of the really cool things is being able to, well, let me back up for a sec. It's not often that you find somebody who's very talented at something, passionate about it and able to make a living at it. Mm. And Pam is truly skilled and blessed in her abilities and her level of enjoyment she gets. She would do this for free. Yeah. <laughs> so being able to put work together in a business that just really, really leverages or kind of amplifies Pam's ability to scale in the community and have that be profitable and help serve us, you know, financially and emotionally is just, it's been awesome. That's great. Yeah. So yeah, totally. you, you hear it all the time, you know, if you love what you do, you're not really working right. or, you know, however the saying goes, but 
you know, I feel like some people tell themselves that, <laughs> but it sounds like, you know, this is truly what, what she was meant to do, which Absol- is awesome. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah, it's great. So I'm glad it's, it's something you, you would do again. So, you know, part of the, the main reason for the podcast is to try to give buyers and sellers, you know, kind of an idea how the process goes. I, I really thank you for providing all of that. If you could give any kind of advice, and I know this business is very niche, very specific, but if you just had to give kind of a, a broad, you know, sentence or two to a buyer, something that they should really look at or pay attention to, and if you give them some advice, is there something you could you could say to them? I think if you take all of the emotional attachment out of it, of that I'm going to be a business owner or that I'm purchasing this specific business that will do what have you, being crystal, crystal clear on the financials, mm-hmm. specifically cash flow projections, making sure that you have a high confidence level, that you will be able, that you can afford the business, you can afford the cash flow. So, and that you feel confident in the sales. When you said, are you, are you happy that you bought this? I'll tell you, I would be a, this would be a much different interview had we struggled with sales or we weren't profitable or we felt like we were in risk of defaulting on a loan. Like, mm-hmm. And I think a large part of that was being really crystal clear about that. So if you're not the financial type, making sure you have a trusted CPA, someone that you've got a track record with, or you really believe is going to offer you good advice to help, to help you figure that out. To me, that seems super important. Yeah. That's some, that's some great advice. So, all right. So what's next? You're going to buy three more or you want to, so yeah, if you ask Pam, we'd be buying one in Vegas. We'd be buying one in Seattle. I'm like, I still need to be by the beach. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I think we've got a little more polishing to do on this one. I think we're probably at 80 to 85% of its, you know, revenue and Mm -hmm. profit potential. I would, our goal is to get this running very smoothly. I'm actually rewriting all of our software systems so we can be a little more hands-off with still having clear visibility into all the aspects of the business. Um, I think there is the possibility of buying a sister location. Okay. I think for a lot of reasons, doing it close by because we can use the overflow sales overflow just geographically, it would be easier. So looking, uh, and there's just, while we might be great at what we're doing, this is also just a very in-demand niche. Mm. There's not enough doggy daycares for people in our area. So I think just in and of itself, it's just like a really solid business prop. Yeah. So I think when this gets running, we feel like it's really running smoothly. The kind of litmus test I said for Pam is if we do something more, we have to do it because it's fun. Yeah. Not like we make enough money. It doesn't, it can't be about just, we want to do more. We have to do more because we're going to have fun doing more. Right. So, Makes sense. So my guess is we're probably a year, 18 months, 24 cool. months out before evaluating. That'll be exciting when you're, when yeah. you're ready to jump back yeah, in again. And you'll hear from me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll look forward to it. All right, cool. So, you know, wrapping up, I always ask people two questions. First one is, did you have a mentor or do you have a mentor you know, give me a little background on, on that. I don't have a specific mentor, but over the course of my career, I've worked really closely with a lot of different businesses. And so each time I had an opportunity to go in and work with a business, I get very involved in helping them to solve their problems. And I'm always learning something new. Hmm. 
I had a really good business partnership. I did a startup back from 2006 to 2008. And my partner, who we remain good friends to this day, I learned a lot from and a lot of respect. He's a couple years older, a little further along in his career. And just, I think those experiences really helped, but not a specific mentor. Yeah. Okay. And then last question, what motivates you? What, what gets you out of bed? What keeps you going? You know, obviously you've been successful on so many different fronts, you know, doing your, your normal consulting gig. And yeah. then now this business, you've got a great family, you know, right. what, what motivates you? So that's a great question, you know, and, and I used to think that I was motivated by money mm-hmm. when I was younger. But what I found, and I would set money focused goals. I want to have this income or I want to have whatever it was with a dollar amount associated with it. But what I found was on a day-to-day basis, that did not motivate me. Hmm. And I've come to understand myself a little better as I've gotten a little older. What motivates me is creating something. So if that's creating software, creating a process, inventing and creating something, I think that's what keeps me going and gets me excited. So I did not like hiring and interviewing people, but I got excited about really like, okay, I'm going to develop a robust process around and make it work. Like, yeah. so the, that creation part is what gets me excited. Cool. Keeps me going. Yeah. It's really interesting. And it, it's great that you've been able to kind of figure that out. I think, of course, we're all in some way a little bit motivated by money because we need it to survive. Right. But figuring out that, you know, if you can get really good at creating something, the money will come. Right. Yeah. The so. money ends up kind of being like the measure, you know, the scoreboard for the game. Right. Yeah. You might love to play <laughs> basketball, but you're not going to want to play basketball every day if you always lose. Correct. You don't have to win every time. Yeah. If you're not so getting better, it, yeah. it is a very easy way to kind of measure your wins. Yeah. But it's the playing of the game that's fun. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So I really appreciate your time. I'm excited to see what, what comes next and always happy to hear that you're, you're doing so well and, you know, definitely you can, you know, attribute your, your success to how hard you work and, and the fun that you have while doing it. So fantastic. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. And I'll just like a parting word and Jared, and this isn't to like pump you up, but <laughs> I've told you this before that 90 days of closing this deal for Wolfingham Palace was very stressful. There were a lot of moving parts. And every time you and I got on a call, it's like I could breathe easy. Mm-hmm. I knew that part of it was being handled. You were always so nice, professional, and on your game, which I just value so much. You would say, I want to do something, and then you would do it. There was a lot of details. And so it ended up being that that part of the transaction was just, it always felt like I was on solid ground. So I really appreciate the effort you put into the deal. It really made it much more pleasant. Well, great. I'm, I'm glad <laughs> Thank you so much. You know, like you, I enjoy what I do. So yeah. it's yeah. not it's not difficult for me to try to help somebody. These are, you know, the things that are really fun for me. It, it's very enjoyable to see somebody be able to exit, somebody come in, and then hearing, you know, how, yeah. how much it positively impacted them. So, yeah, no problem. Awesome. Thanks, Jared. <laughs> All right. Thank All you right. so much. Thank you for listening. We hope you found this podcast informative and helpful. Please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. For more information, or if you'd like to discuss a transaction, please go to www.jaredwjohnson.com.